Today's episode is brought to you in part by Mile IQ. Uh, from appointments with clients and meetings and errands, I mean, unless you're chained to your desk all day, then you're one of the 60 million Americans who drives for work. If you're driving for work and aren't already using Mile IQ, then you're definitely losing money fast. Mile IQ is the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust Mile IQ to automatically log their drives every day. So text Ziggler to 31996 to start your 40-day free trial. You can create an account this week and you'll get 20% off an annual plan. So again, text Ziggler, Z-I-G-L-A-R, to this number, 31996. Built around the concept that you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Well, remember, you were born to win. But in order to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. You see, with integrity, you do the right thing. When you do the right thing, there's no guilt. With integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. See, folks, failure is an event. It's not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Friends, welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and it is my unique privilege to bring today's profound message to you. The Ziggler Show is founded on what Zig Ziggler, the world's most prolific motivator, devoted his life to, inspiring your true performance. You can have the best tools, uh, resources, and even opportunity, but unless you are truly inspired, you'll be hopeful but remain where you are. What is the definition of inspired? Listen to this. To influence or animate with an idea or purpose. Did you hear that? Animate with a purpose. If you want to take action, you have to know and be motivated by true purpose. That's deep, folks, and it is why you are here. Let's dig in and change your world so you can change this world. We need all you've got to offer. Desperately. Hey, Ziggler evangelists. Today, I bring you a big Ziggler fan, one of the biggest, an advocate, a supporter, a chief evangelist, and one of the top radio and podcast kings on planet Earth. Best-selling author many, many times over, Mr. Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey. Uh, for anyone listening to this show, there's less than a 1% chance you aren't pretty well aware of who Dave Ramsey is. If you happen to be one of the 1% who are not, I'll tell you, Dave Ramsey, I mean, he's America's trusted voice on money and business. He's also authored five New York Times bestselling books, uh, Financial Peace, More Than Enough, The Total Money Makeover, Entree Leadership, and Smart uh, Money, Smart Kids. The Dave Ramsey Show is heard by more than 11 million listeners each week on more than 550 radio stations and digitally through podcasts, online audio streaming, and a 24-hour online streaming video channel. So you can follow Ramsey on Twitter at Dave Ramsey and find out all you desire on the web at DaveRamsey.com. And hey, you got to check out, they've got a brand new online budget tool every dollar. It's free and it helps users get on track and stay on track with their budget. So you can get more information at everydollar.com. I checked it out uh, myself. I'm going to let my wife look at it and I think we'll start using it for our own personal finances. 
Well, hey, the reason that we have Dave on the show today is threefold. I mean, number one, he's a chief purveyor of the Ziggler message. Number two, he's a rock star celebrity with an incredible message that spawned a movement in America and beyond. Uh, And three, I have a little personal history with Dave reaching back 25 years that we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, But friends, in this podcast, I'm not going to give too much focus to asking Dave the same, you know, financial questions that I think most interviews contain with him. Uh, He hasn't been prepped on the questions I am going to ask, and I'm going to go to some root issues of personal development that, well, I I honestly don't know how he'll respond. It's going to be a a treat for sure. Interesting as much to me as it is to you. So he's going to join us in just a moment. Um, I want to make a call out to a couple things. One, I just with Tom, we've got Tom Ziegler. We've got a special little Christmas message. It's actually a, a short clip, a Christmas clip uh, that Zig recorded a couple years ago that we're going to share with you and then let Tom talk to you about what Christmas was like in the Ziegler home. And it's really special to hear some of the things that stood out uh, for him. And then uh, and then we'll, we'll tell you a little bit about some of the, I'm going to have him run through some of the Ziegler Christmas specials, what the products are in there as well. So that's a special show that we're going to insert next week that you can look for. It's just about 15, 16 minutes. Uh, well, on that note, you know, with Christmas though, uh, Ziegler does, I, we obviously hit a vein with this year's Ziegler Christmas specials as they're being purchased in record numbers. Matter of fact, they ran out of stock of something today and they're scrambling to get it back in there as the orders come in. So I just a call out to not let your Christmas shopping end without taking advantage of one of the best product package offers that Ziegler's ever allowed. Uh, and without blessing someone's life in a dramatic way, I mean, give some gifts that will be remembered forever, that will change lives for the better, create legacies. So right now you can get the specials immediately. You can get the link to the Christmas special page. Quickest way is just text it with your phone. You can write this down, type uh, text Ziggler, Z-I-G-L-A-R to this number, 38470. Okay, so just text it uh, to the number 38470, text the word Ziggler, and you'll get that link right away. Um, or you can just go to Ziggler.com, just go to the website, and there's gonna there's a little button on there to check out the Christmas special, so you can do that. So uh, help some folks get what they want from life, so that you can get what you want as well. And another proud supporter of the Ziggler Show is a top-ranked podcast called Ventured. It's a series produced by iconic venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins, who's invested in Google and Amazon and Twitter and Uber. Uh, The Ventured podcast takes a close look at some of the fastest growing tech trends in Silicon Valley, as well as behind the scenes interviews with tech giants from companies like like Netflix and Google. You can find the show by searching Ventured in iTunes or SoundCloud. All right, folks, if you're ready to dive into some uncharted territory, I hope, with Dave Ramsey and discuss some specific personal development issues, here we go. I'm bringing Dave in and Tom Ziegler into the show. I want to thank lynda.com as a sponsor of today's show. lynda.com is the leading online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, and for people who want to make things happen. Uh, That's what we love at Ziegler, people who make things happen. So maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or boost your Photoshop skills. The lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, 
or you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, you need to visit lynda.com slash Ziggler and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Z-I-G-L-A-R. All right, folks, we're going to kick this show off by listening to an 18-minute audio of Dave Ramsey sharing his personal story. Now, this is a recent uh, recording, and it's profound. I, got, I thought I knew the story, and I t- took a lot out of it. I mean, I was really impacted by this, uh, this video here. Uh, it's a, a video that we'll actually put on the Ziegler blog, but of course, we're going to play just the audio here. But he takes us through the journey of his rise to wealth, his catastrophic crash, and then what led him in the direction of his current business that has changed our nation. But more importantly, throughout this this brief story, he just gives some incredible insights that I'm going to ask you to listen in. And then I'm going to bring Dave Ramsey and Tom Ziegler into the studio, and we're going to dig in to some of these insights. I think you're going to find some things that really resonate uh, with you, motivate you, but maybe help you Give yourself permission and uh, open your eyes to some things that you can do that maybe you didn't think you could before. All right, here then we go. Most really big things start with a pretty simple story. Ramses are workers. I've worked, feels like my whole life. And I've never complained about it, I'm not whining about it. I mean, but I, I remember when I was 12 years old, I came in and I asked my dad, I was gonna ride my bicycle, I used to ride my bike down to the local Quicksack, it was about a, about a mile down the road from us, and came in and asked my dad for some money to get an Icy at the Quicksack. And uh, he says, you know, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm your son, I'm 12, you know these things. And he said, well, that means you need a job, you don't need money, because that's where money comes from. I'm like, well, he said, what could you do to earn some money? And I said, well, some of my buddies are cutting grass. I guess I could cut grass. And he went, good, get in the car. So true story, he took me down on Nolensville Road in the Woodbine area there in old Nashville to a print shop. And uh, the old-fashioned print shop that used to do letterheads and business cards, they printed up 500 business cards that said Dave's Lawns. When we got home, he said, you go knock on the closest 50 doors in the neighborhood, and you ask them if you can have the opportunity to provide their lawn care needs. And I did it, and it worked. I got 27 yards to cut at 12 years old. I learned customer service and I learned keeping your word. And, and I remember having all kinds of little businesses all the way through school. I made leather, little leather bracelets that you would stamp people's names on and paint them in and sell them on the, out there hawking them by the lockers. And I've just always worked. And, and so when I graduated from high school at 18 years old, I sat for and passed my real estate exam. Mom and dad owned a real estate company, and so I started selling real estate while I was in school. And then I took off the other end of the state, the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and took my license over there, worked for a guy over there, and I worked 40 to 60 hours a week while I was going through school. And I graduated from school basically broke, but not deeply in debt because I've been working. My wife, Sharon Ramsey, she is a central element, a Proverbs 31 woman who can find a virtuous wife. 
for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. Sharon and I got married and started literally with nothing. You know, I remember when we first got married, we were so broke, it was unbelievable. We bought our first two pieces of furniture, an old couch and this oak pedestal table. If it could talk, wow, the stories it would tell. But eventually, after doing some selling real estate for a builder, uh, I started buying and selling real estate in my very early 20s, just a couple of years after getting married. And it worked. A little bit of family connection with some bankers and stuff that knew me and trusted me. I don't know why. I was 22 years old, 23 years old. But um, they started loaning me money, and I got rich. I ended up with about $4 million worth of real estate, about $3 million worth of debt. So that difference is a $1 million net worth. And at 25, 26 years old, I was making $250,000 a year, cash taxable income. That was amazing. I mean, the neighborhood I grew up in, 20000 bucks a month, that's rich. I was rich. I mean, we, we did all the stuff we had dreamed of doing. And uh, I'd always wanted a Jaguar. That was my car. I'd, I'd dreamed of having a Jaguar. I set that goal back when I was in college. And so I got my Jaguar, man. And everything seemed to be going right. It was incredible. And uh, our first baby was born, Denise, and then, um, and, and we're cooking along. And, you know, about the time we started going to church, and I met God in the process. And, and weird thing happened. It was right about that time that everything started falling apart. September 22nd, 1988. I remember that. The uh, banks got sold. Main bank we were dealing with, we had 1200000 with them in 90-day notes because we were buying property and flipping it. And that bank got sold to another bank. And the guys in another state, in another city, looked down and said, you know, there's a kid 26 years old here owes us $1,200,000. This is ridiculous. Uh, let's limit this relationship, which is banker talk, for call his notes and screw up his life. So they called our notes, gave me 90 days to come up with a million bucks. There's no way started to crash, I couldn't stop. And word got out on the street that I was in trouble, and I was in trouble. And our second largest lender, we had 800,000 out with them. They called our notes about 60 days later, after the first one. So we had less than six months to come up with $2 million, and it's all in real estate. You can't sell real estate fast enough to pay that bill. We'd never lost money on a deal. We'd never been late a minute on a note, ever. That didn't matter, though. They just. Uh, decided that they were going to limit their relationship. They were in freak-out mode in the, in the economy that we were in right then. And uh, those two hits started a crash that we fought for two and a half years. No one wins without paying a price. The scripture says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We sold everything as fast as we could. And it doesn't matter what you do. When you pile up stupid as high as I piled it, it's gonna fall down and you can't catch it all. So no matter how hard I fought, no matter how smart I was, no matter how much I kept my word, no matter how much I was gonna do the right thing and pay everybody, it didn't matter. I couldn't control the outside variables. And I remember being so scared. Sharon and I, there was a lot of separation between us. She's pretty freaked out and scared. Pretty ticked at her husband. I didn't have any answers. I was the guy that had had all the answers. The weird thing was we paid the $4 million down all the way to $378,000. It was unbelievable. 
but some of the little ones, we had been sued hundreds of times, it felt like. I don't know exactly how many it was. It was close to 100 easy. And one of those little lawsuits decided on that they were going to execute on the judgment, and they uh, arranged with the sheriff's department to come take a furniture out of our house on a Friday morning. So September 22nd of 1988, we met with a bankruptcy attorney. That night, we signed bankruptcy papers. I'll never forget that. He filed them on Friday morning. So we filed bankruptcy on the 23rd to keep the sheriff out of our house and keep him from taking the baby bed. We, I was out of gas. I didn't have enough emotional energy to fight anymore. I mean, we were just beat up and beat down. Right after that, we started finding out God's Word had something to say about money. And this really wasn't the end of the story. So I met God on the way up, but I got to know Him on the way down, without a doubt. I started studying biblical finance and comparing what the Bible and common sense has to say about money, comparing that with what I had learned in academia, because I've got all these letters and licenses after my name that says I'm supposed to know something about money, but there I sat broke. I started applying new ideas like a budget and like an emergency fund and like getting out of debt and staying out of debt. And we had a guy at church come up to me not long after and said, hey, can we have a cup of coffee with you and your wife? We're going through financial garbage and you know, it's about to tear our marriage apart. It looks like you all made it. How did you make it? And we're like, well, we barely did. So we'll talk to you though. You know, so we had a cup of coffee with him. I guess it was my first financial counseling session probably. I got a budget out. I remember getting the yellow pad out and saying, dude, you got to do a budget. Tell me where you're... And I'm sitting there trying to look at his numbers. And I thought, man, I can... This will really work. I can really show people how to win with this. And I could see it instantly in other people's situations. I guess because we had been there. I got a friend of mine says, having a testimony is a great idea, but getting one's a pain. The scripture says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We've spent a lot of our time and effort in, in not only being educational, but being aspirational to lift and to make people believe. Because when you believe, you can do a lot of things that really don't even make sense. It's crazy what people can pull off when they believe they can, and it's crazy what they can't pull off when they don't believe they can. I've watched a lot of people file bankruptcy that were not bankrupt. They were just scared. The light at the end of the tunnel was an oncoming train for them. They didn't believe that there was anything out there that was real, that they could turn the corner. They, they were hopeless. And that broken spirit, there, there's almost nothing that can overcome it. But the fuel is the hope. When we did the class, we cut up the credit cards. I took them and ground them all up. I looked at this thing every day and shook my fist at it. You're going down. You're going you are down. going down. I lost my job. Sorry. Um, and I'm so behind on everything. Pretty freaking scary, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've been there. I think you're going to have 100% of it paid in less than a year. That's what I predict. Not having a future plan for our kids really was a big, big motivator to us to say, hey, we can do it. Look at all these people that are doing it. The thing that kept us going is the support group that the radio station really is and what you're doing. I'm glad we were able to help you. And if you need some more help, you call me anytime. That's what we're here for. It doesn't make sense in our story that we were able to pay down from $3 million in debt all the way to $378,000 in debt in two and a half years. And I was 26 years old. That doesn't even make sense.
It's not logical. And we still didn't make it, but, but the fact that we got that far into it was because we really believed we were going to make it. And when it ended was when we didn't believe anymore. So that sense of hopelessness, I, I got a barometer, I've got a meter, I can smell that on people, I can feel it on the, a call that's coming in when I'm sitting in a book line, I can look up and see it in somebody's eyes. And I'll just stop a second and talk to them and pray with them and give them a couple of little pointers or hook them up with one of our counselors because they came in there, they weren't looking for a book. They were looking to believe again. Our mission statement at the Lampo Group says, the Lampo Group provides biblically-based common sense education and empowerment which provides hope to everyone in all walks of life. That has been our guide. It's not a brochure filler. It is who we are. It is our mission. That's what that says. We realized really quickly that people whose numbers would work, they couldn't turn it around because they didn't believe they could turn it around. Zig Ziglar used to say, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And that's hope. When I was a kid, we would build uh, campfires on the, out by the lake. We'd go camping with our families and everything, and they'd make the kids get up all the, the driftwood, and, and then we'd be ready to light the fire, and it was always wet, and we couldn't get it light and everything else. And so uh, one of the old redneck guys would always have a can of gasoline, and you know he'd throw some gasoline on there, and we'd light the gas, boom, instant fire, right? But that's what hope is. It's like the gasoline on there. It sets you on fire and allows you to go do things that you never dreamed you could do. We opened a little counseling office. Russ Carroll joined me. We taught our very first class in March of 1994 uh, called Life After Debt with a bad suit and an overhead projector. I thought, well, I'll teach this financial stuff I've learned the hard way. And the little class had 37 people in it. And when I finished teaching it a few years later, there were 350 in it. Um, so obviously we'd touched a nerve, we'd found a need. And um, pastor came by, one of my associate pastors, and said, you need to write your story in a book because God gave you this story and it's different than other people's story. It gives people hope. So I came home that night and I wrote what was, I thought the opening chapter to Financial Peace ended up being the foreword. And so we're just living hand to mouth doing real estate and, and yet I got this bug about this financial stuff. And so at night, I'm over at the church doing a counseling session, or at night, I'm sitting at my computer typing. And so that little blue financial peace book was born. We took it to a printer and printed up the first thousand. Oddly enough, I had been on a radio show as a guest, and this guy was doing this show. We used to laughingly call it the Bad Financial Hour, like a Saturday Night Live skit. Nobody listened to this station, so we went on there. He and I talked about that for a little while, and he had gone broke in real estate too. And so we just started having this conversation about going broke. And I said, yeah, I'm actually helping people over at my church sometimes that are in foreclosure and stuff. And the phone started ringing, and we took some calls. And he goes, that was pretty cool. You ought to come back. Let's do that again. And then the guy quit. And a buddy of mine called me I'm in the mutual funds business. And he says, hey, we need to go down there and do that radio show. That guy quit. And he goes, listen. It'll be fun. I'll do it a couple days a week. You do it a couple days a week. And, you know, you can look at it as a ministry. And, and uh, he knew about the book I had just written. And he said, who knows? You might even sell some of that stupid little book you wrote. you got to get this cleaned up for the sake of your child. Right. Then worth it, though. Well, good for you. When you keep doing smart stuff for five days, you have a good result. You do smart stuff for five years, you really start to see a thing take on a life of its own. You're making good progress, kiddo. Yeah, we're trying. There was immediately a gravitational pull because of we were offering instruction, which gave hope. We were giving answers and stuff nobody talked about out loud. 
It was like the secret that nobody discusses, the dirty little secret that everybody looks good but is broke. And we opened that can of worms and it just blossomed. The weird thing is, is that we went on the air June 25th of 1992. That same week, the phone rang, the printer was on the line and he said, your books are ready. And so I drove out and got my books and we filled up the car with them and put them in the trunk and strapped the trunk down with a big piece of rope and the car's driving like this and I'm driving home. And I remembered in my prayer time that God had told me he was gonna give me a way to sell the book. And it was gonna be so unusual that I wouldn't be able to take credit for my marketing genius. And I'm driving home and I suddenly made the connection that, that little radio show was gonna be how God was gonna sell this book. And I just became overwhelmed. I had to pull over the side of the road and I just sat there and cried for a minute. It was amazing. And to this day, I don't take that for granted. All of this stuff started from primitive, humble beginnings that would give you no indication any of it was going to succeed. But I want to challenge you. Live like no one else so that later you get the opportunity to live and to give like no one else. I look back and go, this radio show, one of the largest talk radio shows in all of North America right now, the book Financial Peace and how it took off as a result and has now had literally millions of families go through it uh, over the last several decades. You know, I, there's no way I could take credit for it. I've worked hard, but when I look at the, the way that stuff lined up, that was just God's gift. It was just what's called a blessing. We're just regular people from Antioch, Tennessee. We're not anything super special. We just did the stuff I've been teaching you and, and tried to figure out what God's telling us to do and doing it on a regular basis. We're just Joe every guy. I started with nothing, did stupid stuff. The failure part and the belief that I can still go out there and win. Everyone's story has an arc to it. Everyone's story has a problem and the opportunity to overcome the problem and then a resolution. Sometimes it's more or less zeros. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's someone from a, a little different culture or they started from a different mindset, a different family upbringing, but they still have that same story arc and it's still a story arc of hope. And so we unashamedly use our story to help people, to make them believe that they can win. Sharing a story or handing off a story or connecting to a story. In our case, you would do it because it's someone that needs hope. I can hand this Total Money Makeover book, I can hand this Financial Peace book, I can hand this class or a tickets to a live event or, or just a, a link to the radio show. I can connect this hurting person with this story of resolution. We're all intertwined that way. Because it turns out our story is always your story. They connect and that connects to another one, and that connects to another one. And that's how this whole thing has happened. There's nothing about the story we would change. We would have changed it while we were in it, but looking back on it, there's nothing about the story we would change. Dave Ramsey, welcome. I can't exactly remember when I did last see you in person. It was either at your lake house or at the Eagles Club that I visited with my dad uh, years back. Uh, but it's been a while and just so grateful to have you on the show. And I, I do trust that you're well, but I'm going to lead off by asking you, what are you today excited about? 
Well, thanks, Kevin. It's good to be with you and Tom. Been friends with both you guys for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're excited about about our future. I mean, uh, we've been working really diligently and really intentionally about succession and transition, uh, which it appears I've got somewhere around 15 years, God willing, the creek doesn't rise, uh, to be able to do that. And so we're raising up these uh, other voices in our brand. We call them Ramsey personalities and setting them up. The first one that we uh, launched a book with was my daughter, Rachel Cruz. We ended up with a number one New York Times there. We're launching a book in uh, in January uh, with Chris Hogan that we anticipate being a number one as well on the New York Times. He's a fabulous speaker and teacher and content provider. And we've got several other of these Ramsey personalities in the leadership space, the money space. And just looking out in the future on that, we're really excited about that. We're also really excited about the transition of our company uh, to digital platforms. We're really concentrating very hard on that, and we're seeing some incredible scalability and uh, cost savings there that uh, for us and then for our customers that are amazing. Uh, stuff like this new Every Dollar Budget tool that's uh, just broke over a million users, and we just launched it in May. Um, it's free to use it, and uh, and takes about 10 minutes to set up your budget, and people are doing it. A million people can't be wrong. Dave, that that's just amazing. I want to say I've been on every dollar. It's fantastic. I heard Chris Hogan and and Christy Wright last year at the Entree Leadership Summit. I know you have another one coming up, and I would highly recommend if you're wanting to grow your own business and and be a leader in your organization, that is the place to go. So you've poured into our life here at Ziegler for many years, and I'm excited that you are working on the the transition plan for generations to come. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. It gives you something to do that's a little different than just saying, okay, after after everything that's happened to us over all these years, now we're working for more than just my brand or, or just for money. I mean, money's fine, get you some, but, you know, eat enough lobster, eventually it tastes like soap. So you have to do something fun with it, and that's plan out the future and how we can do like your dad used to say. And, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, you're always going to have what you want. <laughs> Well, and I believe we have an interview with Chris Hogan lined up, and uh, and I believe after that maybe Rachel and some of your other personalities. So um, uh, and we had a great interview recently with Ken Coleman. So um, honored to bring your corral in here. Well, in in the show intro, Dave, I shared with folks that uh, I have a little history. I'm, I'm blessed to have with you. I mean, you and your bride Sharon have been close friends, of course, with my parents Dan and Joanne Miller for decades, and. I think I met you originally through Mike Hardwick and, and Christ Church somewhere around early 1993 when I was newly married. And, of course, my wife works for you. I think she thinks of herself as maybe your first employee even. Uh, but uh, I did a little bit. That's back when you were in Antioch and the cheap seats of Nashville that you talk about in the video that we just heard. And I remember taking those little blue financial peace books around or wherever you got them uh, somebody to carry them, whether it's a small bookstore or a gas station, and uh, and babysitting your kids that are now not kids anymore. Uh, it's been a long journey. So years later, you've grown obviously dramatically, and you know I I remember I had my my one real job that I ever had was two years with Churchill Mortgage, and they did some primary advertising with you, and I was VP of marketing over there, and I know Mike Hardwick's his big intent was to get more business elsewhere, so it didn't totally rely on the Ramsey show, which was wise, but then nearly two decades later, I mean, you've made Churchill nearly a household name and franchised across America, just as you've made so many other businesses household names. 
uh, it's significant uh, what you have done in creating this empire and establishing a movement in the culture that will forever be memorialized. As you were just talking about, you're looking at the succession of that. So I want to dig in some to this message. And now, first off, though, as I do in every inter- interview, I want to hear how you came to know of and be such a fervent evangelist of Zig Ziglar himself and the message he started. Uh, the Ziglar Incorporated you know, message is spreading today. And I know you were one of the first people, along with Seth Godin, to sign up to do a testimony in the upcoming Ziglar documentary, which is a huge honor. But what, what's your initial Zig story, Dave? Uh, well, Tom and I have laughed about this many times, and Zig and I did when he was still with us uh, many times. And Mom and Daddy were in the real estate business, and so my dad got probably the, one of the very first cassette recorders I ever saw. Hmm. It was a big old clunky thing, but uh, boy, he put in that that Southern Mississippi drawl and dropped that cassette in there. When and Mr. Ziegler comes on and starts telling us that you know you will aim you will hit what you aim at so you need to be real careful what you're aiming at and i began to learn i was probably 12 or 14 years old riding around the car with this big cassette recorder in the front daddy making us listen to that stuff and that started it um and then you know many years later i get my real estate license i was three weeks after i turned 18 years old and uh, zig was in town and of course he was a, an icon and and um we were you know nobodies i had never met anybody like a zig ziglar and he had a a big event in Nashville, and I, I got see, got in there early and got on the, about the third row, and he dropped down on that knee on the front of that stage and started telling us we could be anything we wanted to be. And you know what? I believed him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a long love affair after that with him from a distance. And then, of course, uh, we were able many years ago to hook up and uh, became friends uh, in the later stages of his life the last decade or so i guess and certainly been friends with tom a long time and miss jean and uh, but yeah the man is just the, the teachings i still get them and listen to him tom still sends me a link to something when he, that he's working on and i uh, pass some of it to some of the young pups around here the other day and tell them you know this is how it starts people you need to listen to this this is this is the real stuff absolutely man i'm i'm beyond blessed that i get to do that every week I, my job is listen to zig and Break it down, and what what an incredible gift. I mean, what, so Dave, in your story, I mean, you tell the story of, of course, the wild success you had early on in real estate, twenty grand a month or so in income, which would be even more, you know, today, decades later. But you were enjoying and reveling in, in all that money could buy. You had great connections, took big risks, went big, then lost it all. Today, you've come back with, of course, an incredibly healthy and true platform that far surpasses the. I imagine the wildest dreams you may have had back then and are a celebrity in our culture today. And I don't say that to flatter. It's just that it's a true story. And it's what we just heard about in the, in the video, but I want to help people really relate to that. Well, and they may not have lost millions. Uh, Of course, we've all seen people crushed by a couple hundred bucks, but I mean, your story has been unbelievably redeemed. And do you feel your personal story was a cornerstone in many ways and somewhat unique in its depth of crisis in order to help many others not go through such trials. Well, absolutely. Larry Crabb says that many people who are, uh, have a transformative message for others are walking with a limp. And uh, most of us are what he calls wounded healers. And so it's not unusual for any of us to find an area that we failed in and for God to take that very area and use it to not only redeem your own life, but then 
to be an inspiration to others in that same area. And, and all it is is empathy. I mean, we're just connecting with people where they're hurting, and they it's believable versus someone who's never had that experience. And so, you know, when someone calls a radio show and they're hurting and scared and crying and broken about to lose their house, I remember that. I mean, it, it, you know, it was 30 years ago, but it feels like it was about 20 minutes ago in my emotions. And I still bump in my throat when that guy calls and that gal calls and they're all torn up. And so, you know, I, I think it's um, a good friend of mine says, you know, having a testimony is a wonderful thing. Getting one's a pain in the butt. <laughs> yes. And I actually pulled that. You're, you're stealing my thunder. I pulled that out of the video. It's a great, it's a great line. Okay. So on that note, uh, this is something I, I literally have pondered. and This will be relevant for both of you guys. I mean, many, of course, if not most big success stories, such as your own, Dave, I mean, they come on the heels of massive failure stories. Uh, then you go forth with that hard-earned wisdom to help others not suffer those immense trials, which is totally logical and, and vitally relevant. And I've said in so many years of my own consulting, I think I am you know, kind of like a crash test dummy somewhat of business. I think we all feel like that to some degree. But I'm curious. It's the big dive that made you. I mean, that's what we just l- listened to in that video. I mean, that big dive, that crisis, it made you so so much. So... In that, we are trying to help others not get to that point, you know, not suffer to that degree. And yet it's that suffering that made, made us. It almost feels like a little bit of a conundrum that what made us strength, what gave us that wisdom, what gave you that wisdom. We want to help other people not get there. And honestly, I think about this as a parent, Dave. Uh, you know, I'm wanting to keep my kids from some of the stupidity that I did. And yet I'm somewhat, you said this at the end of your show, there's some things that in the moment you would have regretted, but right now you don't because it added into so much. Do you, it's where I don't, I don't have a point there other than to ask you, where does that fit in? Have you ever had that thought of, gosh, I'm trying to save people from what made me so strong, gave me that wisdom. Of course, we're going to save them. But uh, sometimes I don't know. I, I pondered that thought. What are your thoughts? For those of you who have taken action with an online business and are taking payments online, you need to check out Braintree. Braintree is the source for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber or Airbnb or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast and easy and seamless, it's just nearly magical. I mean, add it to your app, and with just a few lines of code, you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay and Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, they'll support that too. So Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support mean you'll always be ready. Whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth, you'll see fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best in-class mobile checkout experience. So check it out at braintreepayments.com slash Ziggler. That's braintreepayments.com slash Ziggler. Well, I, I think we all know that, that most people who are appear to be successful in any area are actually colossal failures. Hmm. And the only difference is they're standing on the top of all the failures rather than laying under them. And, um, you know, you just learn from it and you climb up on top of it and go, well, I'm not doing that one again. That hurt. That left a mark. And so I don't know that my, uh, my failure made me. Um, it, it did give me some traits that, um, uh, that, that, that allowed us to be able to accomplish some things. Uh, number one, I realized I didn't have enough inside of me to pull it off. 
which that was a new revelation to that arrogant 26-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'm laying there broken. And then I, the second thing I realized is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God, God speaks very clearly to us. He says the in his in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And uh, so I, I got to realize, you know, that, you know, you can plant the corn, but you don't get to make it rain. Yeah. Uh, that's God's job. And so there's a strange mixture between our hard work and doing the best we can do, and then God just showing up and causing it to rain. And so, you know, people, some people err too far on one side or the other. They think it's all up to them, or they think it's all up to God, so they don't do any work. Um, and there's this mix of, of doing those things. And I think the third thing that happened, uh, Evan and Tom, is that I, and I look back on this now more than any other time, is when I'm training up new leaders and new uh, personalities around here these days, I lost the ability. I realized when I went broke and I thought everything in my world had come to an end and a lot of people that uh, I thought were my friends or I could trust uh, suddenly abandoned me, and I survived. Uh I survived. I didn't die, you know? And uh, so it kind of took away this, this idea that what somebody thinks about what we're doing if they're going to be mean or nasty about it, or even if they're going to be positive about it, really doesn't matter. Mm. It, you know, and so I, I don't really get stopped by someone looking at me and going, well, you know, you really can't do that in the radio business, or you really can't do that in the, uh, you know, you can't get a high school curriculum in high schools um, with a message like yours. You can't, and I'm like, well, yeah, well, maybe you can't. But right. I, it, just what they think does not enter into it, because... I guess I was so concerned before when I was a young man of what people thought, and uh, I probably should do. I should probably be a little bit more concerned than I am now. But I, I completely lost what the Bible calls the fear of man, and so the need to impress or be impressive, or the need to, uh, or, or the ability for a hater, so to speak, or a troll, or whatever, to to keep me from going forward, or somebody that gets mad on our team and quits, and storms out of here, or something like that, is like. Well, like I'm not. I'm, doesn't mean I'm going to quit. I'm not going to quit. This is what we do. And so, um, you know, I think that fear of man thing, uh, lack of a fear of man, uh, has allowed us to just go forward. And it, it appears to be bold, but it's not really. It's just like this real observation that these people, positively saying things or negatively saying things, really don't end up influencing whether we win or not. It's all these other factors that cause us to win. Sure. You know, Dave, uh, it reminds me, people ask me throughout the years, you know, how come your dad is so powerful on stage? What was his gift or his ability, you know, to really go into a room and just fill it um, and be so bold and fearless and say politically incorrect things in, in a way that people just accepted? And I think it boils down to what you just said. There was, you know, when dad became a believer, uh, it really was after he was broken, and so as I studied it, he had the spirit of brokenness, which simply meant that he knew there was nothing of eternal significance that he could do without God's help. And when he got to that point, he realized that he only had two responsibilities. One was to have a vibrant relationship with God, and the other was to speak the truth in love. And when he, when he made that, when you could just see that in his life, that, that, that realization that meant that he had no responsibility for how people accepted that message. That's a great line. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, and, that's that's what I'm saying, but you said it much more eloquently. 
Yeah, and so when you don't have any responsibility, then it's not a popularity contest anymore. It's just so he would go out on stage, and he wasn't trying to to please the man or woman who was paying him or the people in the front row. He was trying to please God, and he knew the only way he could do that was to speak the truth in love. And that's what gave him the ability to go places and say things that, that nobody else could say. Well, you guys are, uh, as often happens in these shows, stepping on my personal toes a little bit. I mean, that aspect of, of feeling responsibility has always been a difficult part in my own leadership with, with folks. Uh, so that's a, that's a word I, I continually need to hear. Uh, so you talk about belief. I mean, it came, you've talked about it today. It came up in the video, and you cite so much, Dave, of your effort is to make people believe. And you said in the video, and I, this is a direct quote, if you believe you can do a lot of things that really don't even make sense. It's crazy what people can pull off when they believe they can. And it's crazy what they can't pull off when they believe they can't. And then you go on and this goes right to what you just said, Tom, you said, uh, Dave, in, in the video, that broken spirit, there's almost nothing that can be done to overcome it, which I mean, again, this is the heart of Ziegler, whether the topic is faith, marriage, money, business, whatever it is. I mean, all the steps to success are, are moot if you don't get to the core root. So money and finances is where you began, Dave. And now, of course, you have a big focus on business and other areas of life. But at the core, you're coming back to that root person and their personal belief, which is fueled by hope. So you then went on in the video said that sense of hopelessness. I have a barometer. I can smell it on people. They aren't looking for a book. Maybe they're looking to believe again. So when you get down to it, do you feel like Dave, I mean, that's, that's a core calling to help people believe they can overcome in their life. Again, whether it's finances or self image or whatever is their primary obstacle or Achilles heel that your job is primarily that make, help them believe. It's hope is exactly what it is. You're okay. right. The um, What Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when desire comes, it is the tree of life. Mm. And so when, you know, when you've got hope that is messed up and hope that is, um, guys, we're getting some kind of interference. Are y'all hearing that? I'm not, actually. Something's that, stepping that... on your signal or something. Um, is it a, is a mix minus, Bobby? It's not, is it? Okay. I'll just go forward. You can edit that out. Okay. I'm sorry. No. Okay. So, um, you know, we just tell folks around here that really the product that we sell is not books or live event tickets or radio advertising or anything else. What we sell around here is hope, hope that you can do it. And when you believe you can do it, you can do a lot of things, not everything, but you can do a whole lot of things that a lot of people can't don't think you can do. And so, uh, but but hope gets stolen from folks um, by by life beating them up and by messages in the marketplace. You know, you can't do this because the you know the the, the economy is structured as such that uh, if the government doesn't come in and correct wealth inequality, you'll never be able to be anybody. And and yet, eighty eight percent of America's millionaires are first generation rich. And so, it started with nothing, according to Tom Stanley in the book The Millionaire Next Door. Right. So. You know, there's a lot of things that are possible, but um, as soon as you try to tell a hopeless person that something's possible, um, you, you get that old Ziegler thing. You, you see it. It's called stinking thinking, and it's right there, man, and, and you see it. And really their thought patterns and their belief system are affecting their future more than the reality of their circumstances. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, Dave, one of the ways that I'm different than my dad is I'm a nerd. 
And as a nerd, I like the I like the research. Uh, and I was doing some research on it. There's actually a sequence to change, and the sequence has three core words: optimism, creativity, and systems. And hmm. until there's hope or optimism, your creativity is bound. You don't have any ability to see the future. And so what happens today is when people address a problem, they either focus on their creativity or the systems, and they don't fill up their hope bucket. And if you don't have your hope bucket filled, there's, you know, there's only fight or flight. That's the way we react when things are negative. We run away or we keep banging our head doing the same old thing. And so when I've watched you in your presentations and the audience, you're doing that combination of giving people that little bit of inspiration, that hope, that idea that, hey, I did it. You can too. Look, here's another person who did it. You can too. And like dad always said, he said, never give a promise without a plan. And that's what I love most about everything that you do is you call them baby steps, which is a plan that anybody can implement. And so the hope is built and then a plan is put behind it. That's where creativity and systems come into place. And a system is just a habit you know, it's the same word. It's just two different applications. So when finances at home, you got to have the right financial habits and at work, you got to have the right systems, but that's the sequence. That's what I, that's what I think back when I, when I look at the genius of dad and I don't, I knew he knew it, but I came so natural to him after watching so many people that he always planted that hope. He always created that identity. If I can, you can. And then he gave people a plan to move forward. And that's where creativity and new habits were unleashed. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, this hope and optimism thing without a practical application methodology, um, it just falls flat and it comes off as hollow and, you know, people roll their eyes and make fun of it. Oh, those are positive thinking guys. Well, it is. It's because they're dreamers. They don't have any practical application to the, the process. And if you just do practical application, you're, you're called a boring college professor. Uh, there's no hope or inspiration behind it. And um, you can do that if you got tenure, but you can't do that in the open market. People won't come to your deal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, on that, on this topic of hope, uh, Dave, I want to come back to something that you said. I, I wrote it down just minutes ago, and you were talking about the, on one side, relying on self. So so being alone, in essence. is, And that's, again, that's like an Achilles heel for, for myself, is relying on self. But then on the other side, you said, or you're relying only on God and you don't do anything, which is uh, not taking responsibility. And you mentioned, you know, there's a mix and went on. That crux right there is is significant. And give us a little content on that. Where do you find that mix of relying on self or totally relying on God not doing anything and having a healthy balance in between? Well, I think the healthy balance is what you're looking for. The old quote that is attributed to St. Augustine, some argue about that, but he used to say, supposedly, if you work like it all depends on you and you pray like it all depends on God. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that's the balance. Um, and, and then when you get there, you know, you can sit around and go, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a turtle on a fence post, which if you ever see a turtle on a fence <laughs> post, you know, somebody put him up there. He didn't get up there by himself. Huh. So God must have been involved, uh, you know, because I can look around this place and see with our team and the, the, um, the wins that we've had that I, I've worked really hard, and I, I'm fairly smart. I'm not the smartest guy, but uh, I do work. I work most people, but eat. there's a lot of people work hard. A lot of people smarter than me, and they've not had the success that we've had. So what, what can you attribute that to? Well, there's only one possibility, and we call it God's blessings. 
So you do reap what you sow, so you have to plant something. That's the hard work and getting smarter and personal growth and reading a nonfiction book all the time and, you know, growing your, your capacity, growing the cleanliness of the vessel that you are, your righteousness, your maturity, your, uh, you know, your, your academic acumen, everything. Those are things you can add to. You can add to your capacity personally. Um, and, and then you do all you can do, and that's all you can do. And the farmer does that, and then he prays for rain so that the crops come in. Um, and sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't when you've done all you can do. And uh, th- that's just the ebb and flow and the uh, natural flow of life. And, and so, but, I, you know, as an evangelical Christian, I run into people who are just saying, you know, well, we're praying about that, which sometimes, not always, but sometimes is Christian code for I'm too lazy to go do something. Um, <laughs> that made some people mad. Right I did too. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I said sometimes. You know, right, right. other times people are honestly, earnestly praying, and that's a real thing. And obviously, prayer is an important part of our our faith system that that uh, that we engage in. But um, but sometimes it's Christian code for I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs, and I've you know, well, God, why haven't you shown up? And uh, he he's you know, saying, because you're lazy. Uh, you had not been faithful in the little things. I can't give you more to manage. And Scripture's pretty clear about the cause and effect relationship um, uh, on those kinds of things. And so, no, you know, the, the, the thing you want to be careful is not to be thinking you're all that, and so it's all up to you. Um, I've often heard that saying, if it's, uh, if it's to be, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of think, well, sort of. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's part of that's true, but not all of it. And so it, it's I don't I'm not God, and I don't get to be Messiah. I don't get to tell him what to do. So I'm going to do all I'm supposed to do as best I can figure out, and um, and then he shows up and does his part. And so I'm not going to be completely waiting on God, and I'm also not going to think I can do it all within my power. And when you can strike that balance, you've got a pretty cool spiritual walk at that point. And you get to see some neat stuff happen. It's not a perfect formula. Like again, you're not telling God what to do, and I can't tell you 100 percent of the time the results are always positive. They're not. Sometimes it doesn't rain after you till the field and you yeah. put the corn in the ground. It, you know, the dirt just looks at you. Uh, but other times, you know, you get a bumper crop in, and you got to be careful and go. Well, I'm a really good farmer, and God made it rain. Gosh, yeah, that's just uh, we got a sermon going on here. I want to ask you. Uh, Dave, about your mission statement uh, for the Lampo Group, would you would you state that for us? Well, we, for Ramsey Solutions, we yeah. we slightly changed it for the first time uh, a couple of years ago, okay. and first time in our history. And uh, to, today, it reads: Ramsey Solutions provides biblically based common sense education and empowerment, which gives hope, capitalized and italicized and bold, uh, to everyone in all walks of life. And that's the little, last little part that was changed because we've entered spaces other than just money, and we're working in the, we're looking at some stuff in the marriage space, some stuff in the parenting space, we're certainly king in the money space, and, and have a real strong brand in the leadership and small business space. And so, but it's you know we want to give people common sense, education, and empowerment, which gives them hope. Okay, that's I love that that mission statement, and I'm gonna I want to hit on that that statement of common sense just in an effort to. Uh, empower some folks here. So you say common sense, though, to some degree, I mean, you, you know, well, and I think I've even said that in today's culture, so much of this wisdom is not common anymore. I mean, if there were, we wouldn't have a need for 
uh, some of us to be speaking it and so many world changers that are speaking what we would think to be common sense. I mean, the truth is we do die for lack of knowledge. Uh, me chiefly, I, I would have to say included. So I want you to speak on this as there are so many people, so many folks listening right now in the Ziegler audience, just as in your own audience who have a passion for a topic and an issue that's hurting people uh, and they can help provide solutions, but they so often think, and I hear this and I know you do too. Oh, someone's already said that. I mean, isn't it just common sense? I mean, I've got some really good financial uh, abilities I could offer people, but guys, they've got, you know, Ramsey's out there. Who am I to say anything? And they know the info is just so readily available and is that common sense. Who are they to be a purveyor of it? But the world needs new voices, uh, even though, I mean, for you, you're the current biggest voice in money and finance and, and business to such a great degree. But will you be the biggest and the last? Is there, is there room for others? Uh, not after you're gone. I mean, but even today, isn't there room for more of that common sense? Oh, there always is. And Benjamin Franklin used to say there's nothing more uncommon than common sense. And so it's always been that way. And growing up in the South, my daddy always called it horse sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what horse sense means. I guess it's something to do with having sense on how to handle a horse. But it's like it was supposed to be common sense. And uh, and so uh, another way of saying it, I guess, is street smarts. Uh, you have street smarts. Mm-hmm. And do you, can, can, you, can you function in the marketplace mm-hmm. and play well with others? Are you relationally intelligent? Um, and, you know, those things come into play. But, you know, what's interesting is very seldom do you find things that cause people to become inordinately successful to be things that are uh, a, a new invention, a, uh, an, a brand new idea that no one ever thought of. The vast majority of people who become inordinately successful do something that's already being done better hmm. in a way that is more accessible to the market in some way with a twist, with a flare, with a smile, with a wink, with a nod that no one had done before. And, and so it's just not rocket science. Um, I'm spending a lot of time these days inter- interviewing and researching millionaires, and I'm actually doing a millionaire theme hours on the show to expose this information that I'm finding. And it, it's, the, these interviews with these millionaires are just straight-up boring hmm. because they all sound exactly the same. They all work. 25 or 30 years and put money in their 401k every month and stayed away from debt. And the most expensive pair of blue jeans they ever bought was 40 bucks. I mean, they all sound just alike. Now, some of them are doctors. Uh, some of them are aircraft mechanics. Uh, some of them work in the produce department of a grocery store. A guy yesterday for 37 years, he's got $2.7 million. But wow. you know, I'm like, how'd you do that? I uh, just saved money my whole life, every paycheck. I put money in the 401k. It all sounds like, now, all he did was the same thing that everybody knows to do, and some people do. He just did it better and more steady, and so he's inordinately successful. And, and really, that's all it amounts to. You can outwork most folk, uh, and and you know, and go in there and tell the truth. And if you smile, oh my gosh, now you got a complete competitive advantage. That's. That's that's significant. I mean, this. I wanted to talk about that, so I'm going to go ahead and dive in there. On, I mean, you guys have a big focus on trade leadership, of course. You know, on business and in again in reference in your video here, you said your own company, your what you're doing today started from such primitive, humble beginnings uh, that would give you no indication that it was going to succeed. I just that that really just kind of uh, captured me. And then you went on to say everyone's story. I mean, you and Terry were in the living room with the guard table. There I re- wasn't any indication we were going to be 
deal. <laughs> I, re- I remember in that first little self-published book, I, I literally still have. I think- it wasn't giving you a nickel for our future. I mean, we yeah. were just out there scrapping and clawing. If yeah. somebody told us we were going to be this big, everybody would have laughed. Gosh, well, how many people are, are at that place today? Um, yeah, that's the point. I mean, you got a little book, throw it in the trunk and go sell it. Yeah. Get, get, your, get your friend's daughter-in-law to come over and help you th- for three hours a week and be your first secretary, uh-huh. if you want to call them that. You know, I mean, look, just draw back and do something, for goodness sakes, because you don't know how it's going to turn out. I can tell you how it's going to turn out if you don't do it. It'll yeah. never happen. That old thing that Jordan said, I missed 100% of the shots I never took. Just take the shot. Gosh. Okay, so uh, right there. So you, you said in there, and it was right after that that last that statement on primitive, humble, humble beginnings, everyone's story has a problem. And we keep coming back to, you know, to hope. Um, and on that, everyone's story has a problem. You said that. I mean, I'm a big fan of Donald Miller. I love his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, where he says, you know, a good story is about a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And that overcoming and hope and this these themes we keep coming back on. I mean, in all of your years of doing what you do, Dave, why is, and it's, it's a big question, and I apologize for that, but why is it so hard for us as people to change? I mean, what do you see as primary roots for that, I don't know, stubborn inertia of our lives that's so hard to stop and get ourselves to redirect? I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things, you know, peers, what other people think of us and such, and just our, our habits, but where do you find yourself constantly coming back to, whether it's in the show with callers, whether it's across the table from somebody you're at lunch with, and it's so difficult for them. They've got that spark of hope. They know there should be more, but why is it so hard for us to change that inertia? It's fear. Hmm. Fear every time. Um, Sometimes it's fear of real things, you know, fear of touching a hot stove. You get burned because you would. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the time, it's the old thing, evidence appearing real. It's just... Uh, I'm scared to death if I became successful that I would become one of those jerks. I'm scared to death that I, uh, if this happened, somebody wouldn't like me. I'm scared if I made this decision, somebody wouldn't wouldn't approve. I'm I'm scared that if I put something out there, um, you know, I might do it wrong and you know I might get sued. I'm I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. People are just dadgum scared. And um, and again, I, I go back to the original part of our conversation where I, when I went completely broke and I didn't die. I, I lost all that fear because I, I didn't die. And it's like, okay, this really is just a game. This really is. Let's, let's go throw the football. Interception, we'll, we'll throw another one. You know I mean? Let's get back in the game. And, and it, it just changes your whole deal. And I don't recommend going broke as your methodology for learning it. But, yeah. but uh, you know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? That would be, I have that. Uh, on my, it's in my kitchen hanging up somewhere there. It says, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Which is yeah. so easy. It's an old line that's yeah. been around forever and probably a zig line. I don't know. But um, if it wasn't, it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> we'll attribute to him. Well, that is, okay. So fear or false evidence appearing real. Um. In this, and you, you've come to it a couple of times, you know, coming to that, everybody has a problem, that, that everyone's story has a problem. Do you generally see, folks, that what they cite as a primary problem is often their primary opportunity? Well, obviously, that's a cliche that's been around forever. Um, 
and the reason it's a cliche is it's often true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I see it a lot. I certainly do. Uh, it's an opportunity. But most of the time, what they need is what Tom was talking about a while ago. They just need a plan. And when you have a plan and you go, oh, if I did A plus B plus C, I would get E? Wow. I, well, I could try that. And they've got a bite-sized plan that they can bite off, and, and they go take the first bite, and they're able to chew it, and they go, well, okay, now I did that. So so now the character in our story starts to become the hero. And what Donald talks about all the time so beautifully, and he and I have worked on this stuff together for years. He's just brilliant, and I learned so much from him. But he just talks about, you know, the, the, the bright companies and story branding are uh, making sure that their customer is the hero and that you – as the com- as the company or the brand are the guide, and so um, I spend most of my time being Yoda. I, I really don't need to be Luke Walker. The people doing the debt free screams are Luke Skywalker. Uh-huh. I'm Yoda. I'm the little ugly guy in the swamp. <laughs> All right. Well, that's an image right there. Um, yeah, you're cracking us up, Dave. Uh, <laughs> oh, and Dave, one last thing. Uh, when you talked about horse sense, uh, yeah, Dad, Dad always called that stable thinking. Uh, ah, nice, boom. Nice. I love it. I had not heard that one. That's great. I had, I had not either. I had not either. <laughs> Dave, man, I am so grateful for this. It's going to bless a lot of people. I want to. I want to hit. Well, I got one last question for you, and this is one that I often have a, a personal curiosity with in regards to influential people like yourself, just in your own personal development walk. We all have our areas of strengths and weaknesses. Where Where is your personal Achilles heel in your personal development? The thing that you have to work the hardest to overcome. Uh, and, and that word overcoming has always been curious to me because I think it's, we logically sometimes take that term to think overcoming means totally eradicate it. And I have so many weaknesses that I feel like I, I don't know if I'm any stronger in that weakness today than I was 20 years ago, but I found ways to manage it and to, to, to produce anyways. Um, but so in your, in your own self, where do you find a personal Achilles heel? Just, this is, this is Dave, this is a weakness and how do you manage it so that you produce anyways? I guess most of the time, one of your strengths is your biggest, uh, now I got to mix minus completely. Yeah, I heard that. Got it. Okay. I, I guess like uh, a lot of things, oftentimes your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. I was interviewing a, a guy doing some family business research, and he and his brothers had taken over for his dad, and they were able to triple the size of the business from a billion-dollar business to a $3 billion business. Wow. And a um, billion-dollar business is no slacker, so daddy was obviously brilliant. And uh, and I said, so how did you do that? And he said, well, we put systems and processes in place from that we'd learned in academics that Dad didn't have. But you don't you you need to understand that was brilliant. The, the stuff was already here; it was low hanging fruit, and we were able to triple the business on stuff that was already here. We just systematized some of it. And then he said this line: he said, the quirky brilliance of the founder will only take you so far. Huh. And um, I thought, wow, that's interesting because I'm a founder, I'm a starter, I started this, and the quirky brilliance. So, I'm, And I've got a quirky brilliance. I don't know if we call it brilliance, but a quirky... Uh, I, I can see stuff, and I do quantum leaps straight to it. I can visualize something. We launched this business boutique thing. I saw that very, very clearly in HD. 
the very first day we had the idea, I could smell the need in the marketplace with Christy Wright. I knew where we were going with that. I it's I just knew it. I knew it. I knew where we were going. I could see every detail. I could see how the product line was going to roll out. I could see how the women were going to interact and react. I could see how the market was going to perform on it. I could just tell. I mean, there's a lot of nuances and details you don't know, but mm-hmm. I could see that real clearly. And I quickly went there, so quickly that I left my team behind. And, uh, you know, the guys on my leadership team often, uh, they, that's a weakness, is I do a quantum leap. And uh, while I might be right or I might not be right when I do that quantum leap uh, out of a, a quirky brilliance, uh, it, 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 you know, you look up and uh, you're supposed to be leading and nobody's back there. <laughs> right, right. So it's not a, it, it's a good thing that you can see stuff, but it's a bad thing if you go visit that place but don't take anybody with you. So uh, th- that's something I work on. And the way I solve it, you ask how I solve it, is accountability. I mean, I've got leaders here that are not wimps. Uh, if you want to be a – if you want yes-men leadership teams, uh, you wouldn't want to work here because this bunch calls it out like it is around here, and that includes calling me out. So uh, we all get in a room fight like a bunch of hillbillies so we solve something, and that includes calling me out. So if, if that happens, they call me out. Uh, sometimes I get credit for it if I do it right, but if, I'm, if I get too far out there and I leave the team behind, that's a, it's a bad thing, and, yeah. and I'm not always right. So sometimes I'm driving over there in the forest and I get lost, and uh, you've got to be careful with that. So your biggest strength is usually your biggest weakness, and in my case, accountability has having strong, strong people in my life uh, has... Uh, uh, that have uh, don't have a fear-based uh, culture around them where they can speak up and call something what it is. It keeps me a little bit more uh, attuned to where I'm, I'm doing a lot better with that. I'm a lot more sophisticated with how I utilize that gift now and so that it doesn't become a weakness. Well, in that, gosh, talking about accountability and people you have around you, I don't know how many stories I've heard related from my dad, Dan Miller, on your Eagles Club that you guys have had for, uh, I, I don't know, how, how long has it been? 10, 15 years more? I, I think it ran about 14 years. Did it? Okay. Before we, we, called, we called it about three years ago, and yeah. um, it had run its course. But, boy, it was a blessing while we had it. Well, and that sparked so many. I know from my dad talking about it, so many people wanted to know how to instill that in their lives, how to get people around them, and especially the right kind of people. And you just said the kind of people who are not fear-based. That's significant. Uh, of of course, to find the people that you relate to, that you respect. Um, so great. So I, I hope everyone heard that. You know, accountability is as a primary way that you, Dave Ramsey, deal with your own weaknesses. Dave, such a gift to connect with you again after all these years, and um, I just uh, I'm astounded and blessed by what you have done in our culture and helping people. And I've been one of those people that have been helped by your personal uh, anointing, but thank you for taking the time to come on the Ziegler show, share with our audiences and, and folks. I do want to call back everybody. Of course, Dave is where you can find everything they have to offer. Uh, this new tool that Tom talked about mentioned, I went to it as well. Every dollar.com uh, looks incredible. I'm going to show it to my wife and look at us embracing that as a tool for our own finances. Uh, Dave, thank you uh, for blessing us and giving us a bit of your time today. Well, thanks, Kevin and Tom. It's an honor to be with you guys, and good to hear from you again. Holler back sometime. We will. Appreciate you, Dave. Keep changing the world, brother. Thanks, guys. God bless. Thank you.